0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Deeper. Uh, thank you for joining us this week, and thank you, John, for joining us. Good to see you. Thank you for the invitation, and welcome to
1: everyone who's watching, especially if, like me and like quite a lot of people in the church. You're on the back end, or you're suffering at the moment with this little wave of COVID that's going around. Don't don't forget to ask for help from from neighbours and from church friends if you need it at all.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you've uh, you're recovering now, aren't you? yeah still. It takes, it takes some people a while to recover from uh, COVID, doesn't it? And last week, Beck had it. Uh, so far, I've been free of it, uh, which is fortunate. Uh, and I, I like your background, John. For those who don't know where it is, where is that?
1: It's if you ever go for lunch at the Gelder Rose or if you ever go for a walk along the prom, or if you ever go to KFC, not, I'm banned from KFC, it's one of my New Year's resolutions, but you come out the back and you look across the lake and the sun shining, it looks like you're in ooh, LA
0: or somewhere, doesn't it? That's know? right, yeah. So if, if you're watching this from outside Southport, all of this is in Southport. Uh, and Southport, if you've never been, is a great place to visit. Um, so uh, my background is a bit different. So I'm uh, here in our youth room um, in church. Uh, and let me just say, I've got my coat on because it's they've been freezing. They've uh, decided to turn the heating off. We're doing, we're getting new boilers, and uh, the heating's off at the moment in church. So I'm sat here working away with my coat on because it's so cold. Anyway, that's enough of my problems. Let's crack on with this. John, you preached yesterday on Nehemiah chapter one, verses one to six, uh, and in our mission life course, we were thinking about ambition and having a godly ambition. Um, So we're going to look at that passage first of all, and then draw out some of the things that we want to draw out in terms of application. So uh, we'd love you to read Nehemiah 1 verses 1 to 6. Uh, So press pause, read that passage, and then restart the video. Fantastic. So we're going to uh, go through this verse by verse. And so uh, it'd be helpful to have some context, wouldn't it? Because we're coming into this passage cold. Um, so what is the context, John? What what do you know oh, You're absolutely right, you see, because uh,
1: as a Sunday school teacher, I like narrative far more than passages that are full of theology, and I love a story that starts, it gives the year, it's, uh, it's in the middle of the 5th century BC, it gives the place in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, which controls everything from Egypt through to the Chinese border. Um, the, the emperor, uh, the king, uh, the Shah, whatever you want to call him, is the most powerful man on the planet at that time, and uh, and Nehemiah it's a great story. We're welcome to be with it from two years ago in church. Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's not a prophet at that time. He's not a high priest. He's not a, he's not one of the elite. He is a man whose job it is to serve wine to the king and make sure he doesn't get poisoned.
0: That's right. Um, and so, the, the yes, yeah, interesting, he's just a cupbearer and yet has this huge impact on the nation of Israel. Uh, and we'll pick up on that, I guess, later. So let's start with verse 1, and uh, this just sets the scene. It's the words of Nehemiah. We actually don't know a lot about Nehemiah himself, do we? Apart from he's the son of Hakaliah, Um, and it's in the month of Kislev, uh, which is probably mid-November through to mid-December, that time of year. Um, And as you said before, he's in Sushan, capital of the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. Uh, So that's probably all we need to say about that verse, unless you've got something extra, John. Well, I
1: think you know a little bit more biblical history than I do. Some of the Jews had returned from exile at this point, haven't they? But things were not going well for them.
0: Yeah, so there's um, not, probably not everyone was taken into exile. There'd be a few people left behind. Uh, and then over the years, some, uh, some people have been able to return. And so we've got the Book of Ezra. But um, well, there's probably at this stage, maybe around about 50,000 people in Jerusalem out of a potential population. For the whole of Israel, of I don't know, maybe two or three million potentially. Uh, so only a small fraction of the people have come back. Um, and, and,
1: uh, and like like in New Testament times, where the Roman Empire facilitated communications much further east, but uh, you could travel uh, under safe conduct within the Persian Empire from Susa back to Judah to see what was going on. But my guess is it would take three or four months at camel speed, wouldn't it? it uh, and, cool. and, and the same back again, like the Magi
0: Yeah, it would take a long time. It would take a long time. And so this is probably, you know, the book starts, this book starts maybe somewhere between 15 and 30 years after the book of Ezra. Uh, And um, verse 2, all we know here is that uh, some people have been to Jerusalem. uh, Hanani, uh, which is described as a a brother of Nehemiah, Uh, he comes back with a report. Um, and uh, it's interesting that it? Nehemiah questions him specifically, and you bring this out in your sermon uh, about the Jewish remnants. Anything you want to say on that?
1: Well, you're right, Stephen. I mean, there might have been a few little domestic details or news but what he's really passionately keen to know is how are things for God's people? Uh, the concerns of God's people were of great concern to him, and also how are things for God's city? Jerusalem is more than a city it- it is the city of God. It's the place where the whole of salvation, Isaiah says, will come from. Uh, and, and it lies in ruins in disgrace.
0: Yeah. Uh, at this point, only the temple's being restored. Um, so without walls, the whole place is constantly under threat. Um, and so in verse 3, uh, Hanani uh, describes what the place is like. Uh, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Um, anything you want to say about verse three, John?
1: No, except that it was amazing that this was prophetically laid on one of our congregation's heart who didn't know we were going to talk about Nehemiah, uh, to bring up when you, when you asked what's God saying to people today. And it's like um, clearly Jerusalem is not broken down; its gates burned with fire today. But uh, but the state of our society is in great disarray. The state of ourselves as a community is in disarray, uh, and also the state of the people of God is is stumbling. Malicious. That's right. In our in our land.
0: Uh, certainly in this in this verse, there's uh, it could be referring to the damage inflicted by the Babylonians when they conquered Jerusalem. Uh, but perhaps more likely is and you can read this in Ezra chapter four. They actually had a go at rebuilding the walls and uh, the leader of the, of the uh, Babylonians at the time squashed it and knocked all the walls down and burned the gates. So probably what is being referred to, is that instant more than the original conquering. Uh, and so if you're living in a city or a town without walls, you are living in a place of constant stress because you can be attacked at any time. There is no safety. There is no protection. Um, and for a, a place like Jerusalem, which has such a, a prominent place in the nation of Israel, uh then that would be a disaster. It would make them feel like this is no longer our city. It's just a backwater town.
1: Yeah, and you get a feeling in this and the next verses that, that Nehemiah isn't just concerned, he's a Jew and this is the capital of, of, of their ancestral homeland, but that he senses something of the purposes of God. He, he begins to understand what, what Isaiah's touching at, which many Jews didn't understand about how salvation was for the whole earth. And he's he's greatly troubled that it's not just cities and ruins, but that God's purposes and the name of God are in disgrace.
0: Wow. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, God's purposes and his name are disgraced. That was a really good point. And Nehemiah, in chapter, uh, verse 4, uh, responds to this news. How does he respond, John?
1: It says he sat down and wept. Um, you when know, I read that. It's a completely different situation. I was reminded we talked a lot about, um, you know, uh, the passages where they, the exile is new and pray for the prosperity. But the, the Israelites, when they got to Babylon, they sat down and they wept, didn't they, it says. Yeah, uh, under yeah. the trees there uh they're, they're greatly it's a it's a sort of symbol of great upset isn't it he, um and then he but he he, he um is not immediately despondent uh, he's not just despondent he's despondent to the point that he's determined to bring it before god and bring it before god repeated and, and with a real discipline there isn't it?
0: that's right yeah so uh, it says he 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 sat down he wept and he prayed and he fasted you know and i think uh, the, the thing that stands out for me about Nehemiah is the way he just in this instance, his first call is to God and to mm-hmm. just cry out before God. Um, and that whole idea of him kind of sitting down kind of makes it feel like he's overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that this really deeply affects him. It's not just bad news. It's This is something that really affects him. Um, and he, he's overwhelmed by this news. And so uh, in verse five, we have... Um, this is not the prayer he prayed when he first sat down. This is something that seems to have happened some time later. Because um, it says, then I said. So he's been praying, he's been fasting for some days, and then he prays. Uh, and it's interesting what he prays, isn't it? So verse 5, John, what do you make of verse 5?
1: The it starts with an acknowledgement. I mean, yes, you're right. Now, I hadn't picked up on that yesterday, but now that you say it, I see that because, um uh, you know, his first prayers would have been prayers of shock and saying, Lord, you don't know what's going on. But then I said something in him turns back to acknowledge the sovereignty of God in all situations. And. Um, You know, I guess as you get old, you get more emotionally resilient, or you get a bit tougher, or you get a bit blasé about things. But you and I can probably both point to things, even in the last few years, where you've heard news about someone being sick or dying or something terrible happened to them, and you're just overwhelmed to the core. And um, that that overwhelms you at first. Before before you can turn back to Lord, you're in control of all this. You know, you know what's going on, even if we don't.
0: That's right. And I think that I think that's absolutely true. You know, that we can get bad news and feel overwhelmed by it, and um, and really demoralized by it. But it takes time in prayer to get to that point of faith.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And that's what we see, I think, in this passage where, where Nehemiah starts to pray, because it says, Then I prayed, and he goes straight to the character of God. And you know, he, he describes God as, as all powerful, uh, as awesome. In other words, as someone to be feared, which I think is kind of uh, what the Hebrew word is pointing at. Um and also someone who's faithful. Um, what does what he does he say? He says, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. He's reminding himself of the well, faith. that's very
1: positive because I know when I've been bereaved, or or when you hear about terrible things happen to you, you think, Lord, where were you in all this? And 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 Nehemiah comes around to this view that, well, it's hard to explain. We often can't give simple or, or glib answers, but, but God is in control and he hasn't stopped loving any of us.
0: Exactly, yeah. And then uh, the final verse, um, kind of a really interesting verse. What do you see there, John? Um,
1: one of the things in John Tyson's notes, says one of, the, one of the faults that we slipped into that I didn't mention was that uh, we find it quick to judge, uh, but we should probably be thinking of the last judgment, you know that we, uh, because we live in a self-centered society, because we live in a society where everything we read is about putting the blame onto somebody else, we find it very hard to say. You know, all of us have some part to play in the way society is. All of us are collectively responsible in some ways, and uh, while we might think we haven't to that, I think all analyses of a situation saying, "Lord, I'm not perfect in this either," you know, uh, that um, that it's not all God's fault and it's not all other people's fault, but you know, some of this I have to take some ownership on myself. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, and, and that's exactly what he does, because he identifies with the sin of the people, not just for him, but for his whole family. He says, "Yeah, me and my father, we, we are part of this, we are part of the problem.
1: Yeah, and if nothing else, I mean, what has
0: Nehemiah done wrong? You might say, well, probably very little, but he does
1: live a very comfortable life. He has a secure and not very manual job in the palace of the king, which uh, probably... Virtually unlimited protection from unemployment or being cast out, uh, and no requirement to, uh, no requirement like of society in those days to work like a dog from dawn till dusk. You know, he is a member of a, of a captive and subjugated race, but he's now very, very privileged. he hears every word that comes out of the king's mouth all day long. You know, that's right,
0: right. So that's the six verses. Um, so we're going to think a little bit about what what does it actually mean for us. Here's this story from two and a half. Thousand years ago. How do we apply it today? And uh, we're going to think about that in a moment by going a little bit wider. So we're going to think about what what does this mean for us? Um, And I'm going to start. Uh, And I think the thing that strikes me about this passage, about this part of the story, is that Nehemiah was deeply moved by the news he heard from Jerusalem. I mean, it deeply affected him. It it led him to fast and to pray. He he, he was clearly overwhelmed when he heard this news. Um, And the reason it struck me is because, you know, as we record this, we are just over a month into the Ukraine war. And, you know, when this initially happened, uh, people were really moved into action. They were really moved by what they saw online. Um, But now it's been like, it's been on the news every single day since then. And it feels like people have, they've not closed off to it or they've not, but they've certainly, it feels like they've been overwhelmed by it a little bit and distanced themselves from it because it is overwhelming. You know, it's, it is potentially overwhelming. Um, and it's like what what moved them a month ago no longer quite does. And I think that has an impact on how we act and, and react to this. And the, as I was thinking about this, it reminds me that We actually should be moved, deeply moved, by the brokenness we see around us. Not just the Ukraine war, but by the broken lives around us, by the poverty that we see around us, by what's going to be happening in our world. And we can only sustain that if we are really close to God. So that what breaks his heart should break our heart. Uh, And I think there's something powerful in that that we each need to work on, that we don't become hard-hearted to the brokenness around us simply because we see it on the news or on social media every single day.
1: John, I think, well on? I think that's right. But and then the next thing is although 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 Nehemiah is deeply wounded and he falls to his knees with this grief and the shock, um, is he optimistic? Is he pessimistic? The answer is neither. He um, he, he's, he is completely aware of the reality of the situation. What he is, though, is he's not discouraged. He uh, he, he doesn't see it through his own prism. He doesn't need to be the pessimist across the optimist. He understands that God's in control, ultimately afraid about it. He understands that if you look back through all of human history, you'll see little by little people changing difficult situations in our own history as well over the last couple of hundred years to make the lives of people around them much better. He's not discouraged because he knows it's not It's not his place to either be encouraged or discouraged. It's to be open and honest and available. Um, okay. And related to that, that doesn't come out of him immediately, does it? It comes because he's prepared to go before God in prayer, first of all, until God, God reminds them he's in control, and then until he's strengthened to do something about it. I, you mentioned that this was it in the month uh, of about mid-November maybe, naturally it's mid-Nissan, it's uh, Easter time, the so four months has gone by before the moment comes when God calls him to act, so hes it's not a bounce thing, it's not coming out of emotion it's coming out of putting himself uh, to the point where he and God are on the same page, and that takes time.
0: That takes time that was a lot, of that was a long time in prayer wasn't it and, um, and I think that For me, that kind of speaks into the first two points as well about being deeply moved but not overwhelmed. So, you know, my kind of reflection at the moment is we've been praying on a Sunday night uh, for Ukraine. Uh, On the first night, you know, we had well over 40 people praying. And then every week since then, the numbers have dropped. And it's like the emotion of it all initially moved people into prayer. Uh Emotion doesn't keep you in prayer. Obedience does. And sometimes God sparks the emotion to get us praying. But then we actually need to be obedient and stay praying. And that's what I've seen Nehemiah doing here. That you know, he was, I'm pretty sure the emotion of hearing what's happened to Jerusalem had worn off. But he stuck at it and he kept on praying. And I think that, that's what marks someone who's going to be effective in the kingdom to someone who's not going to be effective. the ability to uh, act out of obedience when the emotion is gone. Uh, and, of course, what happens then is, you know, we know that he was a man of action. He, he did something. Uh, and that's where we get into the whole holy ambition thing that you talked about in the sermon. That, and I'd encourage everyone to watch that sermon. Uh, that His heart at this point was now in line with God. And uh, he knew he had to take action. And uh, he, hit this one man changed the course of a nation. And maybe for us, it's not that. Maybe it's just in lots of small things, but maybe we just need to be prepared to turn what's moved us into prayer and then into action. And that's the, that's the sequence we see here. Deeply moved, deep prayer, and then action. So we're going to uh, move into some questions for you to consider in your mission communities uh, or on your own. So here we are, we're going to go a bit further now and give you some questions to think about. I'm going to do the first three, and then John is going to do the last two. It's five questions for you today. Um, so the first question is, what has moved you recently? What's made you feel uh, deeply emotional about what you saw? And is there something that you need to do about it? Now, obviously, there's a the whole Ukraine thing, uh, but maybe there are other things as well. Uh, and I would encourage you to not focus on the obvious, you know, Uh, Whenever you're watching this, there may well be obvious things, but is there something else that's deeply moved you? And what would you need to do about it? Second question. Um, Do you think you've become hardened to the brokenness around you? Uh, And if so, how can you change that? And final question from me. Uh, What does Nehemiah model that you need to apply to your life? And by that, I mean his soft heart, his, bro- his brokenness, as you he th- uh, heard about the brokenness of the walls in Jerusalem, his attitude to prayer, and then his attitude to action. Uh, maybe most of us are good at one or two of them, not all three of them. Nehemiah seems to have smashed all three of them. So maybe what's the one that you need to work on? John?
1: Um, well, just thinking about how nothing happened in God's purposes from Nehemiah until he prayed about it a long time. What is it that stops us, from being uh, superficial in our prayers, what would keep us mourning and praying and fasting, possibly for weeks or months uh, before God gives us an answer, strengthens us to do something about it? Where, what it? Where are the distractions coming from in our lives that we need to work on that are pulling us away from that? Stuff? Uh, and related to that, when we pray, uh, Nehemiah confessed his involvement in things as well. And, and we get very hung up on confession. We have this whole sort of uh, um, idea of you know particular sins that you've got. And sometimes that's right. But when we pray, do we pray with an atmosphere of, uh, around us of humility before God that we have seen and yet been blind? We've heard things and yet closed our ears that we are comfortable. Uh, if we are comfortably off, we're comfortably off in a society where many aren't and in a world where many people aren't and, and what are we going to do about where well, is our responsibility in all this and all prayers I think should should include some element like Neil Myers did of some acknowledgement that you know he's not great himself
0: yeah fantastic John thank you very much for joining us today and thank you very much for your sermon on Sunday it was fantastic um just one quick notice well actually there's two uh firstly looking for our easter services uh, there'll be a um a screen at the end of this uh, video for you with all our easter services on uh, secondly deeper next week uh, we'll go out probably around about maybe tuesday afternoon rather than tuesday morning just so you know um uh, Beck and I have got a a thing in the diocese on Monday, which means we have to record Tuesday morning and then uh, it needs to be edited and uploaded. So it'll be more like Tuesday afternoon before it's available, just so that you know. Uh, And then after that, we will have three weeks off from Deeper. Maybe because we've got Easter Monday uh, and then we've got another Bank Holiday and I'm away on the week as well. So I'm off to Tuscany, sunny Tuscany, John.
1: Fantastic. Well, everybody, thank you for listening and keep well during this little bout of COVID. Yeah, that's good.
0: Take care, everyone, and we'll see you again soon.